Now, you know this. This is not a secret, but dates are pretty important to us, right? We mark dates on the calendar and we look forward to those dates. My friend Ryan and Tori, they were married a few weeks ago and they invited me and uh, Joel, our worship leader, to be at their wedding, to play a special role in their wedding. And several weeks or several months before they said, here's the date, don't miss this date, be here at this day, at this time. And we all agreed because dates matter and they were counting down and it was so exciting to count down to that day, right? You know what this looks like. If you've got retirement on the horizon, you're counting down the days, the weeks, the months, the years, whatever it is. We count down the days to holidays and to vacations. I've got a son that's a huge NFL fan, and he could tell you that as of today, there are 32 days left until the NFL season kicks off, right? We count down to things that are important to us. Now, we've had some exciting big dates in our house recently. One of our sons turned 12 in July. He's almost a teenager, and he's entering into middle school. That's something he's been counting down to for a while. We're excited. We're proud of him. But then on Friday, our oldest son turned 16. And as parents, I'm like, oh my goodness. He walked up to me and he was like, dad, I'm 16 today. I'm like, I know, like, what are we gonna do about this, right? Now he's looking forward to another day, November the 5th. You know what happens on November the 5th? He can get his license and he's a pretty good driver. I'm praying that Jesus returns between now and then because I'm a dad (laughs) and I'm protective and I want my kids to be safe, right? We all have these things on the horizon that we're counting down to, but there's some things we don't look forward to. Like I've not met a kid yet that's like, I'm really excited to go back to school this week. My kids started this last week and they wanted to pretend like it wasn't happening, right? Even up to Sunday night, we're like, you need to go to bed. And they're like, it ain't happening. It ain't, the bus will not come tomorrow. No, the bus is coming. You need to get in bed. There's just some things that we don't want to know about, talk about, or think about. And the top of that list isn't going back to school. The top of that list is the day we're going to die. Like, have you ever tried to think out in the future and think, I wonder, I wonder what that day is going to be like. I wonder how I'm going to go. What's it going to look like? It's kind of a morbid thought, right? You really wouldn't want to think about this or plan this out. And how would you do that anyway? Well, thanks to the internet, someone somewhere developed something known as the death clock. And you can go and you can find your own personalized death clock and you punch in your birthday, your height, your weight, do you drink? Do you smoke? All these things. And here's my death clock, right? And so apparently I've got a little under 30 years to live. I'm going to die in the fall of uh, 2051. I'll be almost 74 years old, right? So like all the, the seconds are just ticking down, you guys. And if this is awkward for you, it's awkward for me. You're looking at my death clock. You're literally watching me die as we stand here. Now, some of you are like, golly, can we just move on? Hey, there's multiple death clocks. And if you do it right, you can find one that will help you. This is the best one I found. The other one had me dying three years earlier. (laughs) So you can find one that you like best. But here's the reality. We're all going to die one day. We just don't want to think about it. And if you had a friend that was always talking about dying, what would, like, how often would you want to meet with the friend that's going to talk about dying all the time? Like, let's just check in once a year. I think we're good. I don't need to think about it, right? It's just not something that we like to think about. But if you read through the gospels, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what you discover. Jesus talked about his death a lot, a lot, a lot. Like he knew that it was getting close. He knew how he was going to die. He, he gave details, right? And it's not because he was looking forward to it, because what we're going to see today is the thought of death stressed Jesus out. I'll, I'll show you what I mean later. But he says, look, I'm not looking forward to this. I just know that it's a reality. But here's what we're going to learn from Jesus today. He understood that his life mattered in God's eternal plan, but he also understood that his death played a role 
in saving humanity, but there's more to it than that. What we're going to see, what we are going to see today is just like Jesus, our lives matter to God and our death matters to God. The way that we approach death, the way that we view death and the way that we choose to die to ourselves every day matters to God in some really important ways. And when you think of it, it's like, well, of course Jesus viewed it that way, but I'm, I'm a little different. I'm telling you, wait until you see what Jesus says. You're going to be able to relate to us, but he wants us to follow his example in life and in death. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you right now to turn to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, we're going to pick up where we started earlier this year. We, we launched into this initiative called Grow. In Grow, we said the goal is to read, study, and discuss through the gospel of John from beginning to end. And from January to May, we made it through the first 12 chapters. Today, we're going to pick up the back half of John chapter 12. And next week, we're going to launch into John 13. And we're going to stay in John until late November. We're going to continue to see what we can learn from Jesus's life. Now, when you came in today, you should have received one of these reading plans. If you want to know where we're going from week to week, you can follow along with us here. And I want to encourage you to do that. And there were two prayers. When we started way back in January, we said, we're going to launch out with two goals. We want to grow in our individual faith when it comes to studying Jesus's life. But we also want to grow as a church family. We want to look like and be like and act like and make an influence for Jesus. That's the purpose of us reading and studying these things together. Now we've taken a little break in the summer, but we're picking it back up today. And like many of you, I'm excited. And so one of the things that we learned about the gospel of John is that it can be broken down into two distinct books. We talked about this months ago, but the chapters one through 12 is known as the book of signs. And chapters 13 through 20 is known as the book of glory. And the, the reason it's called the book of signs in the first 12 chapters is when Jesus performs a miracle, a lot of times John refers to it as a sign. And signs point us to things. They point us in directions. And so all of these signs were meant to point to Jesus as God's son, as our Messiah. It's not just that he's the son of God with the power of God. It's that he's, he's come with a purpose. And what we're going to see in the weeks to come is in John 13 through 20 is the book of glory, Jesus's glory being revealed, but it's not glory being revealed the way that we would anticipate his glory being revealed. And what we're going to see in the book of glory, we're going to see Jesus, we're going to, we're going to take a deep dive into some granular sections of his life, long conversations he had with his disciples. We're going to see Jesus praying and begging his heavenly father to get him out of the mess he was in. We're going to see him nailed to a cross. We're going to see his body laid in the tomb, but we're also going to see him coming back from the dead. We're going to see his glorification process. And at times it's going to be grueling, but it's going to be, it's going to be so good. Now, that's an overview of where we've been. If you want to catch up, you can download the Genesis Church app and all of our messages are out there. You can follow us on podcast or your favorite podcast app and just search for uh, Genesis Church Carmel or Genesis Church Noblesville. You can follow us on YouTube. Just type in Church Genesis and you'll see our logo at the top and you can click on that. You can watch all of that and you can get caught up. So feel free to do that. But let me bring you up to speed in what's going on in John 11 so you'll understand what's going on in John 12 and 13. In John 11, Jesus performed the most amazing miracle that he had performed up to this point in time. There was a man named Lazarus who had been dead for four days. He was dead. He was, they were afraid he was going to smell. And they're like, don't bother him, Jesus. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, raises him from the dead. People lost their minds as they should. If you saw someone raised from the dead, would you not lose your mind? So a lot of people were like, this is amazing. 
But at the end of John 12, what we realize is the religious leaders, they were like, this is awful. We need to kill this guy. They come up with a plan to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. They thought that was the best approach to the situation. So that's John 11. In John 12, John 12, 1, we learn that Jesus is at a party in his honor at Lazarus's house. By the way, if anyone ever raises you from the dead, I think this is wise. Throw that guy a party, okay? That's what Lazarus and his family are doing. They're celebrating it. Jesus, you're great. We love you so much. There's this huge celebration. And then we learn, this is an interesting detail, that the party moved from their house to the streets of Jerusalem. John 12, 12, the next day, as in the day after the party at Lazarus's house, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So now a parade breaks out in Jesus's honor and everyone is saying, there's our King. He's our King. This is so exciting. This is good. This is the way it's supposed to work. Look at verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Because when you see somebody come back from the dead, you tell people about it, right? Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone out to him. They did not get it. They were gonna move forward with their plan to kill Jesus. But I wanna stop and take a moment and step back. I just want to appreciate the emotion behind all this because you have two parties. You've got these people that hate Jesus and everybody else loves Jesus. From a PR perspective, he has all the momentum. He was popular before he raised Lazarus from the dead, but now he's proven he's got the power to raise people from the dead and everybody is like, this is great. Jesus is our guy. And if this were to happen today in 2022, I am convinced the crowds lining the streets, they would be wearing shirts that said, Jesus, 2024. He's our guy. We're ready for a revolution. It's time for change, right? We get this. People that don't like each other, we get all of this. this that is the tension that is playing out in the streets of Jerusalem. And then this is where things get real interesting in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Now, pay attention. We don't know really anything about these people other than they were Greeks. They could have been tourists visiting from out of town, but it does tell us that they went up to worship. So it might have been that they were God-fearers. They were curious about Judaism. They hadn't necessarily converted yet, but they heard about this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, that can bring people back from the dead. And of course, they were like, I just want to see this guy. So they find two of Jesus's disciples and say, hey, we'd like to see him. Is that, is that possible? But here's what I really want you to pay attention to. Here's the detail that really matters. The fact that John tells us they were Greeks means they weren't Jewish. Now that applies to me, and I'm guessing that applies to many of you as well. And here's why that matters. Because up to this point in time, Jesus had primarily been speaking to the Jewish people. And they were looking at, to him as their Jewish Messiah. He was the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. And now these outsiders are coming and they're saying, hey, we're really curious about this guy. Now, Jesus predicted that this would happen. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd that God has sent to shepherd his people. But he didn't stop there. 
He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He continues in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, true story. Some people believe that Jesus is talking about aliens here. I don't think he's talking about aliens in outer space. I believe he's talking about non-Jewish people that would come to faith in him. He's preparing his very Jewish base to say, hey, it's not just about you. It's about me and it's about everyone. I have come to be the good shepherd for everybody. Now, I think we need to stop here and to be reminded of that. Because if you've grown up in and around church, or maybe you haven't and you're on the outside looking in, you feel like, I don't know if I fit in. Jesus has come to be your good shepherd. He says, if you place your trust in me, I'll be your good shepherd. You don't have to be shoved into a box. You don't have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, do a certain thing. I am the good shepherd. That is the point that Jesus is making. And I think we all need to be reminded of this. There aren't favorite sheep. There are sheep. And he has come for all of us. Now, all this might sound like a weird, like weird details and nuances, but it has everything to do with what is getting ready to happen next. I'm going to reread verse 20 for you, okay? There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Verse 23, then he replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this is a consistent theme. It's going to come up in passages in just a moment. You're going to see it next week, and it's come up several times so far in our study of the Gospel of John. If you go way back to John chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples and his mom, they're at a wedding, and they've run out of wine, and Mary, his mother, comes to him and says, Jesus, there's no more wine. Essentially, she's saying, can you help? And what's Jesus' response? Woman, my hour has not yet come. In John 7 and 8, the religious leaders are so disgusted with his teaching and his miracles. It says they try to arrest him. And on two occasions, John says these words, no one laid a hand on him because his hour, his time had not yet come. But now that he's entering into Jerusalem, and now that all the Jews are saying, you're our king. And now that the Greeks are saying, we want to learn more about you, Jesus says, finally, now my time has come. Now, David Guzik points out that the phrase, the hour has come is in the perfect tense. And it can be translated as the hour has come and stays with us. In other words, Jesus knows my time is here and there's no turning back. There's no hitting pause. There's no slowing it down. My hour has come. And so what does all of that mean? The hour has come for what, Jesus? What exactly are you talking about? Look back at verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We're looking at the passage that is the hinge into the book of glory. Now, when you think of someone being glorified, what do you think of? I think of awards presentations and trophies and acceptance speeches and standing, you know, uh, people stand and clap, right? That's what we think of as glorification, but if you're familiar with Jesus's story, is that what's getting ready to happen next? He could have taken the word glorified and like from our perspective, it's like, Jesus, you've meant to say the hour has come for you to be crucified. John 13 to John uh, 19-ish, 
what we're getting ready to do the next several months is like a really slow progression through the final hours of his life, final conversations, final actions, final teachings. In 12 hours, he's going to be arrested. That doesn't seem like glorification to me, at least not the way that we're used to glorification. But Jesus continues, verse 24, very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So again, let's just look at the details. The Jews are ready to make him king. The Greeks have come to his disciples and say, we want to know what Jesus is all about. And I don't know if he spoke to the Greeks. I don't know how this went, but it's almost like Jesus says, I'm really glad that you're here to know what I'm all about, but here's what you really need to know. I'm about to die. I'm about to die and it is going to result in eternal life. But that's not all. Not only did Jesus know that he was going to die, he knew that it was going to be painful. Listen to what he says, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. The word troubled there can also be translated as turmoil. And the verb tense that you use implies a continual state. In other words, really what Jesus is saying is, my time has finally come. There's no turning back and my soul is in turmoil constantly because of it. Has your soul ever just been in constant turmoil? I, I know it has because you're human. We all have things going on right now that like maybe it's low-lying turmoil, but you can relate to a time when you're just in constant turmoil. And you know why this is so important? We're seeing the humanity of Jesus played out for us. His disciples had a hard time believing that he was God. We have a hard time believing that he was man. He's both. God in the flesh. And so Jesus is relating to our humanity. And I don't think he's just putting on, he is saying, my soul is in constant turmoil. If you're afraid to die, Jesus gets it. He's like, he knows, but he's not just getting ready to die physically. It's actually deeper than that. He's never had a broken relationship with his heavenly father. And the fact that his time has come means that all of our sin was getting ready to be dumped on him and he was gonna be separated from his heavenly father. He's never known that. It's normal to us. So when he says his soul is in turmoil, like he is going through the emotional process just like you and I do. But look at what he says. Verse 27, my soul is troubled in turmoil, constant turmoil, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Time out. Yes, Jesus, that's what you should pray. That's what I prayed. Jesus, I'd like to avoid this if at all costs. He's like, what should I say? Get me out of here. No, it's for this very reason that I have come to this hour. He's just, the time is here. There's no turning back. The time is here. There's no turning back. He knew that his death clock was getting ready to expire. He knew that it was close. He says, it's going to be painful. It's going to be horrible. But he also models what faith in his heavenly father looks like. He didn't allow his fear and anxiety to freeze him like we do, like I do. He said, I'm going to show you what walking this out, walking death out in faith looks like because I believe my heavenly father has gone ahead of me in ways that you're just going to have to see in order to experience. And then look at what he says in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven spoke. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was not for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the time, there's that word again, for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. We'll talk more about that next week. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Look at this. He said that to show the kind of death he was gonna die. Now, really interesting. This is one of three times in the gospels that God spoke from heaven and people could hear his voice. That's interesting, but that's not what I want you to focus on. Verse 32, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was gonna die. Now we were studying this passage in our connection group last Thursday. And a young lady raised her hand and said, I gotta be honest, this does not make sense to me. What does this mean? I think that's the way we should approach studying scripture. Time out, what's this mean? What does this look like? I don't understand how it connects. Well, here's what's fascinating. The word or the phrase lifted up has two meanings. It can mean to physically be raised above the ground and it can also mean to be exalted in throne or as Jesus said, glorified. So get this, Jesus isn't just predicting his death. He's predicting the way he's going to die. He knew he was going to be nailed to a cross and he knew that they were gonna hoist that cross up so people could shame him. He's gonna be lifted up. But he wasn't just predicting his death or the way he was dying. He was predicting his glorification because he knew he was not going to stay dead. He knew that his body was gonna be laid in a tomb. He would be risen from the dead. And as he said, all men would be drawn to him. It's like this divine magnetic effect to his death. Look at how chapter 12 ends. Jesus cries out to this crowd. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is making a really bold claim here. He's like, if you wanna see God, look at me. If you wanna know God, trust me. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are like biographies of Jesus's life. They tell us where he went, what he did, who he interacted with, how he interacted with people. And there are tremendous teachings captured in the gospels. But the words we just read are his last words in public. His last words like this. Everything else that we're going to read is behind closed doors. And it's pretty significant because he says, look, last thing I want to say, I've come as a light. If you want to know God, know me, trust me, follow and obey me. But there's something else that I want you guys to see. Because Jesus isn't just saying, put your faith in me so you can have eternal life. He's saying, actually, I don't want you to wait till heaven for that to happen. I want you to experience it now, but it's probably not in the way that you would anticipate. Let's circle back to verse 24, because as Jesus, in the middle of all this, when the Greeks come and they say, we want to see Jesus, this is what he says. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, Jesus is using an analogy of a seed being planted in the ground. He knew that his body was going to be taken off the cross and put in a tomb and put in the ground. And he says, but when that happens with a seed, it dies and produces many seeds. And God, in his divine wisdom, he didn't just design seeds to produce more seeds. God created seeds. Here's, here's these little things, these little seeds 
there is so much reproductive power. There's six seeds in this bag. They're so small, you probably can't even see them. There's so much reproductive power in one of these seeds that if you plant it in the ground, it doesn't just produce more seeds, does it? It produces a plant that produces fruit, that produces seeds, that produces plants and fruits and seeds. Now we view our life and we think, well, I want to be fruitful in all kinds of ways. When we think of being fruitful, what do we think of? We think of, well, I got to like be successful and I got all, all these things. And Jesus is like, nah, that's not really the fruitfulness that I'm talking about. Look at what he says. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So he says, my death will lead to eternal life. But he says, but my followers will follow my example in life and in death. I want you, I want you to think of it like this. Here's an illustration that you're probably familiar with. I'm not a farmer, but when I think of farming, you're gonna get this analogy. We've got seeds that produce root. They go into the ground, they produce roots, they begin to grow. And eventually the goal is that it produces a, a tree or a plant that produces fruit in season and out of season, right? You get this, we get this analogy. You don't have to go to Purdue to study agriculture to get this. We understand. The problem is we think that a fruitful life is the honor roll, graduating at the top of our class, being popular, having lots of friends, excelling in sports, getting a good job, making lots of money and having all the things and maybe sharing a little bit. Jesus is like, that's really not the fruitful life that your heavenly father has in store for you. It's not that those things are bad or wrong, but there's more to it. There's more to it. He is calling us to a life where we learn to deposit our life in his death so that we can be raised to new life, eternal life, spiritual life that extends into eternity. He wants us to set our roots and build our identity in who he is, to grow, to weather the seasons of life so that throughout the course of our life, we are producing spiritual fruit. We are helping other people understand what it looks like to follow Jesus, but it begins by learning to die first. He's gonna model death and he says, I want you to follow me in death. Now that's not a popular message, is it? We like heaven. We want eternal life. But Jesus says, I want you to have eternal life. You just have to die to yourself first. You have to die into my death. I want you to think of it like this. I think it boils down to this simple phrase. Following Jesus is embracing a life of death that leads to life after death. Following Jesus isn't being a good person, going to church, checking the boxes. Following Jesus is embracing, literally embracing his death and burying ourselves in it, dying to ourselves regularly so that we can experience life after death. And it begins now. It begins with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and showing us a brand new way to live. And so I want to go back to this illustration because I got an important question for you. Where are you at in this continuum? I think we're all on here somewhere. And the goal is that we end up here. The goal is at the end of our life, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gets to define what our fruitfulness looks like. We don't. So here's my question. I know, I know our church family. I know many of you have taken the seed of your life and you've planted it in him. But here's the, here's the funny thing about a seed. If you don't 
If you don't plant these seeds, they just remain as seeds. I can throw them away, no big deal. I can store them in this bag for who knows how long, they're still seeds. But the moment I plant it in the ground, guess what happens? Game over. It's producing over and over and over again. And so Jesus says, don't just plant your seed in my death. Put your roots in me. Learn who I am. Grow in me and set this as your goal for your life. And so where are you? Because we want to help you grow. We all are growing on this continuum somewhere. Now, some of us have allowed the seasons or not, not that we've allowed weather has come through and blown the tree over, knocked limbs off. And we're like, I'm done. Jesus says, no, you're not. I've given you my eternal spirit. I can redeem anything. I want you to follow me in death. Die to your pride. Die to your greed. Die to your lust. Die every day. You follow me in death and I will raise you up over and over and over again so that others can follow you. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel like this little guy and you're like, I don't, I don't really know how to grow. Tomorrow night, we're offering a soaps workshop where you can learn how to study scripture. You can observe it, you can apply it, you can pray through it and you can share it. Come to the soaps workshop. Learn how to study God's word so you can share it with others so you can become strong in your faith and be fruitful for God's kingdom. But maybe, maybe you're the seed and you're just a seed. You have not planted your life in Jesus's death and his words you're just, you're basically waiting to die with, apart from him. Not a good place to be. He says, plant your life in my death and I will raise you. I'll give you a brand new life right now and I will help you influence others for me right now. So I don't know where you are on this continuum, but my guess is you're like me and you need people to help you pray through wherever you are right now. After service, during this next song or after service, I wanna invite you to come forward and say, I need prayer for this. I am stuck here I don't really know what it looks like to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you take that next step. We're gonna launch groups in a few weeks where you can grow in community and you can study God's word with people. Great first step to take. Maybe you need to find a place to serve here or out in the community. Find where you are on the continuum and let us help you take that next step. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so thankful for your word. I'm, I'm glad to be back in the gospel of John. I love that we've made this commitment and we're sticking to it throughout this year. Jesus, thank you for modeling life that matters to God, obedience that matters to God, and a death in our place that changed everything for all of us. I am thankful that when your body was planted in that tomb, you knew it wasn't the end, but you endured the hardship and death for us so that you could be raised to new life, so that we can be raised to new life and we can live fruitful lives for you. Holy Spirit, would you help us to identify where we are? Where we are is not bad or wrong. You just want us to continue to grow. Anything that's not growing is dying. I pray that you would move in a way today that we would, we would be bold and we wouldn't worry about what other people thought. We'd come forward for prayer and say, I'm stuck here, pray for this. I pray that you would speak to those that are just, they haven't planted the seed of their life in your death, Jesus. Would you speak to them and draw them to you so they can experience eternal life now and they can figure out how to share their faith with others for your glory, not for ours. Jesus, we love you. You are the reason we do everything that we do. In a moment, we're gonna lift our voices to you. 
Holy Spirit, would you teach us to worship our King, our Messiah, our Good Shepherd. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.